Chapter Twenty Five of the Junior Classics, Volume Seven Stories of Courage and Heroism. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry Wilson. The Junior Classics, Volume Seven Stories of Courage and Heroism by William Patton. A white boy among the Indians, as told by himself, by John Tanner. The earliest event of my life, which I distinctly remember, says John Tanner, is the death of my mother. This happened when I was two years old, and many of the attending circumstances made so deep an impression that they are still fresh in my memory. I cannot recollect the name of the settlement at which we lived, but I have since learned that it was on the Kentucky River, at a considerable distance from the Ohio. My father, whose name was John Tanner, was an immigrant from Virginia and had been a clergyman. When about to start one morning to a village at some distance, he gave, as it appeared, a strict charge to my sisters, Agatha and Lucy, to send me to school. But this they neglected to do, until afternoon, and then as the weather was rainy and unpleasant i insisted on remaining at home when my father returned at night and found that i had been at home all day he sent me for a parcel of small canes and flogged me much more severely than i could suppose the offence merited i was so displeased with my sisters for attributing all the blame to me when they had neglected even to tell me to go to school in the forenoon from that time my father's house was less like home to me and i often thought and said i wish i could go and live among the indians one day we went from cincinnati to the mouth of the big miami opposite of which we were to settle here was some cleared land and one or two log cabins but they had been deserted on account of the indians my father rebuilt the cabins and enclosed them with a strong picket it was early in the spring when we arrived at the mouth of the big miami and we were soon engaged in preparing a field to plant corn i think it was not more than ten days after our arrival when my father told us in the morning that from the actions of the horses he perceived there were indians lurking about in the woods and he said to me john you must not go out of the house to-day after giving strict charge to my stepmother to let none of the little children go out he went to the field with the negroes and my elder brother to sow corn three little children besides myself were left in the house with my stepmother to prevent me from going out my stepmother required me to take care of the little child then not more than a few months old but as soon as i became impatient of confinement i began to pinch my little brother to make him cry my mother perceiving his uneasiness told me to take him in my arms and walk around the house i did so but continued to pinch him my mother at length took him from me to nurse him i patched my opportunity and escaped into the yard thence through a small door in the large gate of the wall into the open field there was a walnut tree at some distance from the house and near the side of the field where i had been in the habit of finding some of last year's nuts to gain this tree without being seen by my father and those in the field i had to use some precaution 
i remember perfectly well having seen my father as i skulked toward the tree he stood in the middle of the field with his gun in his hand to watch for indians while the others were sowing corn as i came near the tree i thought to myself i wish i could see these indians i had partly filled with nuts a straw hat which i wore when i heard a crackling noise behind me i looked around and saw the indians almost at the same instant i was seized by both hands and dragged off between two one of them took my straw hat emptied the nuts on the ground and put it on my head the indians who seized me were an old and a young one these i learned subsequently were manito and his son kishkako after i saw myself firmly seized by both wrists by the two indians i was not conscious of anything that passed for a considerable time i must have fainted as i did not cry out and i can remember nothing that happened to me until they threw me over a large log which must have been a considerable distance from the house the old man i did not now see i was dragged along between kishkako and a very short thick man i had probably made some resistance or done something to irritate this latter for he took me a little to one side and drawing his tomahawk motioned to me to look up this i plainly understood from the expression of his face and his manner to be a direction for me to look up for the last time as he was about to kill me i did as he directed but kishkalko caught his hand as the tomahawk was descending and prevented him from burying it in my brains loud talking ensued between the two kishkalko presently raised a yell the old man and four others answered it by a similar yell and came running up i have since understood that kishkalko complained to his father that the short man had made an attempt to kill his little brother as he called me the old chief after reproving the short man took me by one hand and kishkalko took me by the other and thus they dragged me between them and the man who threatened to kill me and who was now an object of terror to me being kept at some distance i could perceive as i retarded them somewhat in their retreat that they were apprehensive of being overtaken some of them were always at some distance from us it was about one mile from my father's house to the place where they threw me into a hickory bark canoe which was concealed under the bushes on the bank of the river into this they all seven jumped and immediately crossed the ohio landing at the mouth of the big miami and on the south side of that river here they abandoned their canoe and stuck their paddles in the ground so that they could be seen from the river at a little distance in the woods they had some blankets and provisions concealed they offered me some dry venison and bear's grease but i could not eat my father's house was plainly to be seen from the place where we stood they pointed at it looked at me and laughed but i have never known what they said after they had eaten a little they began to ascend the miami dragging me along as before it must have been early in the spring when we arrived at saugenong for i can remember that at this time the leaves were small and the indians were planting their corn they managed to make me assist at their labors partly by signs and partly by the few words of english old manitou gizik could speak after planting they all left the village and went out to hunt and dry meat when they came to their hunting grounds they chose a place where many deer resorted and and here they began to build a long screen like a fence 
this they made of green boughs and small trees when they had built a part of it they showed me how to remove the leaves and dry brush from that side of it to which the indians were to come to shoot the deer in this labor i was sometimes assisted by the squaws and children but at other times i was left alone it now began to be warm weather and it happened one day having been left alone as i was tired and thirsty i fell asleep i cannot tell how long i slept but when i began to awake i thought i heard someone crying a great way off then i tried to raise up my head but could not being now more awake i saw my indian mother and sister standing by me and perceived that my face and head were wet the old woman and her daughter were crying bitterly and it was some time before i perceived that my head was badly cut and bruised it appears that after i had fallen asleep manito ogizik passing that way had perceived me and tomahawked me and thrown me in the bushes and that when he came to his camp he had said to his wife old woman the boy i brought you is good for nothing i have killed him you will find him in such a place the old woman and her daughter having found me discovered still some signs of life and had stood over me a long time crying and pouring cold water on my head when i waked in a few days i recovered in some measure from this hurt and was again set to work at the screen but i was more careful not to fall asleep i endeavored to assist them at their labors and to comply in all instances with their directions but i was notwithstanding treated with great harshness particularly by the old man and his two sons shimung and kotashi while we remained at the hunting camp one of them put a bridle in my hand and pointing in a certain direction motioned me to go i went accordingly supposing he wished me to bring a horse i went and caught the first i could find and in this way i learned to discharge such services as they required of me i had been about two years at saguenon when a great council was called by the british agents at mackinaw this council was attended by the sioux the winnebagoes the monanamis and many remote tribes as well as by the ojibbeways ottawas etc when old manito gizik returned from this council i soon learned that he had met there his kinsman netnoqua who notwithstanding her sex was then regarded as principal chief of the ottawas this woman had lost her son of about my age by death and having heard of me she wished to purchase me to supply his place my old indian mother the otter woman when she heard of this protested vehemently against it i heard her say my son has been dead once and has been restored to me i cannot lose him again but these remonstrances had little influence when netnoqua arrived with plenty of presents she brought to the lodge first blankets tobacco and other articles of great value she was perfectly acquainted with the dispositions of those with whom she had to negotiate objections were made to the exchange until a few more presents completed the bargain and i was transferred to netnoqua this woman who was then advanced in years was of a more pleasing aspect than my former mother she took me by the hand and after she had completed the negotiation with my former possessors led me to her own lodge which stood near 
here i soon found i was to be treated more indulgently than i had been she gave me plenty of food put good clothes upon me and told me to go and play with her own sons we remained but a short time at saguenon she would not stop with me at mackinaw which we passed in the night but ran along to point st ignace where she hired some indians to take care of me while she returned to mackinaw by herself or with one or two of her young men after finishing her business at mackinaw she returned and continuing on her journey we arrived in a few days at shabawewe agun the husband of netnoqua was an ojibwe of red river called tagawanini the hunter he was always indulgent and kind to me treating me like an equal rather than as a dependent when speaking to me he always called me his son he himself was but of secondary importance in the family as everything belonged to netnoqua and she had the direction in all affairs of any moment she imposed on me for the first year some tasks she made me cut wood bring home game bring water and perform other services not commonly required of boys my age but she treated me invariably with so much kindness that i was far more happy and content than i had been in the family of manitogizik she sometimes whipped me as she did her own children but i was not so severely and frequently beaten as i had been before early in the spring netnaqua and her husband with their family started to go to mackinaw they left me as they had done before at point st ignace as they would not run the risk of losing me by suffering me to be seen at mackinaw on our return after we had gone twenty-five or thirty miles from point st ignace we were detained by contrary winds at a place called mainaukoking a point running out into the lake here we encamped with some other indians and a party of traders pigeons were very numerous in the woods and the boys of my age and the traders were busy shooting them i had never killed any game and indeed had never in my life discharged a gun my mother had purchased at mackinaw a keg of powder which as they thought it was a little damp was here spread out to dry Tagaway Ninny had a large horseman's pistol, and finding myself somewhat emboldened by his indulgent manner toward me, I requested permission to go and try to kill some pigeons with the pistol. My request was seconded by Netnoqua, who said, It is time for our son to begin to learn to be a hunter. Accordingly, my father, as I called Tagaway Ninny, loaded the pistol and gave it to me, saying, Go, my son and if you kill anything with this you shall immediately have a gun and learn to hunt since i have been a man i have been placed in difficult situations but my anxiety for success was never greater than in this my first essay as a hunter i had not gone far from the camp before i met with pigeons and some of them alighted in the bushes very near me i cocked my pistol and raised it to my face bringing the breech almost in contact with my nose having brought the sight to bear upon the pigeons i pulled the trigger and was in the next instant sensible of a humming noise like that of a stone sent swiftly through the air i found the pistol at the distance of some paces behind me and the pigeon under the tree on which he had been sitting my face was much bruised and covered with blood i ran home carrying my pigeon in triumph my face was speedily bound up 
my pistol exchanged for a fowling piece i was accoutred with a powder horn and furnished with shot and allowed to go out after birds one of the young indians went with me to observe my manner of shooting i killed three more pigeons in the course of the afternoon and did not discharge my gun once without killing henceforth i began to be treated with more consideration and was allowed to hunt often that i might become expert game began to be scarce and we all suffered from hunger the chief man of our band was called Asinebones, the little Asaboin, and he now proposed to us all to move as the country where we were was exhausted the day on which we were to commence our removal was fixed upon but before it arrived our necessities became extreme the evening before the day on which we intended to move my mother talked much of our misfortunes and losses as well of the urgent distress under which we were then laboring at the usual hour i went to sleep as did all the younger part of the family but i was wakened again by the loud praying and singing of the old woman who continued her devotions through the great part of the night very early on the following morning she called us all to get up and put on our moccasins and be ready to move she then called wameganbu to her and said to him in rather a low voice my son last night i sung and prayed to the great spirit and when i slept there came to me one like a man and said to me net no qua to-morrow you shall eat a bear there is at a distance from the path you are to travel to-morrow and in such a direction which she described to him a small round meadow with something like a path leading from it in that path there is a bear now my son i wish you to go to that place without mentioning to any one what i have said and you will certainly find the bear as i have described to you but the young man who was not particularly dutiful or apt to regard what his mother said going out of the lodge spoke sneeringly to the other indians of the dream <laughs> the old woman he said tells me we are to eat bear to-day but i do not know who is to kill it the old woman hearing him called him in and reproved him but she could not prevail upon him to go to hunt i had my gun with me and i continued to think of the conversation i heard between my mother and wamegunbu respecting her dream at length i resolved to go in search of the place she had spoken of and without mentioning to any one my design i loaded my gun as for bear and set off on our back track i soon met a woman belonging to one of the brothers of tagawanini and of course my aunt this woman had shown little friendship for us considering us a burden upon her husband who sometimes gave something for our support she had often ridiculed me she asked me immediately what i was doing on the path and whether i expected to kill indians that i came there with my gun i made her no answer and thinking i must be not far from the place where my mother had told wagame gonbu to leave the path i turned off continuing carefully to regard all the directions she had given at length i found what appeared to be some former time to have been a pond it was a small round open place in the woods now grown up with grass and small bushes this i thought must be the meadow my mother had spoken of 
and examining around it i came to an open space in the bushes where it is probable a small brook ran from the meadow but the snow was now so deep that i could see nothing of it my mother had mentioned that when she saw the bear in her dream she had at the same time seen a smoke rising from the ground i was confident that this was the place she had indicated and i watched long expecting to see the smoke but wearied at length with waiting i walked a few paces into the open place resembling a path when i unexpectedly fell up to my middle in the snow i extricated myself without difficulty and walked on but remembering that i had heard the indians speak of killing bears in their holes it occurred to me that it might be a bear's hole into which i had fallen and looking down into it i saw the head of a bear lying close to the bottom of the hole i placed the muzzle of my gun nearly between his eyes and discharged it as soon as the smoke cleared away i took a piece of stick and thrust it into the eye and into the wound in the head of the bear and being satisfied that he was dead i endeavored to lift him out of the hole but being unable to do this i returned home following the track i had made in coming out as i came near the camp where the squaws had by this time set up the lodges i met the same woman i had seen in going out and she immediately began again to ridicule me have you killed a bear that you come back so soon and walk so fast i thought to myself how does she know that i have killed a bear but i passed by her without saying anything and i went into my mother's lodge after a few minutes the old woman said my son look in that kettle and you will find a mouthful of beaver meat which a man gave me since you left us in the morning you must leave half of it for wamegobu who has not returned from hunting and has eaten nothing to-day i accordingly ate the beaver meat and when i had finished it observing an opportunity when she stood by herself i stepped up to her and whispered in her ear my mother i have killed a bear what do you say my son said she i have killed a bear are you sure you have killed him yes he is quite dead yes she watched my face for a moment and then caught me in her arms hugging and kissing me with great earnestness and for a long time i then told her what my aunt had said to me both going and returning and this being told to her husband when he returned he not only reproved her for it but gave her a severe flogging the bear was sent for and as being the first i had killed was cooked altogether and the hunters of the whole band invited to feast with us according to the custom of the indians the same day one of the crees killed a bear and a moose and gave a large share of the meat to my mother one winter i hunted for a trader called by the indians anib which means an elm tree as the winter advanced and the weather became more and more cold i found it difficult to procure as much game as i had been in the habit of supplying and as was wanted by the trader early one morning about midwinter i started an elk i pursued until night and had almost overtaken him but hope and strength failed me at the same time but clothing i had on me notwithstanding the extreme coldness of the weather was drenched with sweat it was not long after i turned toward home that i felt it stiffening about me 
my leggings were of cloth and were torn in pieces in running through the bush i was conscious i was somewhat frozen before i arrived at the place where i had left our lodge standing in the morning and it was now midnight i knew it had been the old woman's intention to move and i knew where she would go but i had not been informed she would go on that day as i followed on their path i soon ceased to suffer from cold and felt that sleepy sensation which i knew preceded the last stage of weakness in such as die of cold i redoubled my efforts and with an entire consciousness of danger of my situation it was with no small difficulty that i could prevent myself from lying down at length i lost all consciousness for some time how long i cannot tell and awakening as from a dream i found i had been walking around and around in a small circle not more than twenty or twenty-five yards over after the return of my senses i looked about to try to discover my path as i had missed it but while i was looking i discovered a light at a distance by which i directed my course once more before i reached the lodge i lost my senses but i did not fall down if i had i should never have gotten up again but i ran around and around in a circle as before when i at last came into the lodge i immediately fell down but i did not lose myself as before i can remember seeing the thick and sparkling coat of frost on the inside of the pukwi lodge and hearing my mother say that she had kept a large fire in expectation of my arrival and that she had not thought i should have been so long gone in the morning but that i should have known long before night of her having moved it was a month before i was able to go out again my face hands and legs having been much frozen and after many dangerous and disagreeable experiences john tanner when almost an old man came back to the whites to tell his history which as he could not write was taken down at his dictation end of white boy among the indians as told by himself john tanner